the Wise Up TX podcast. This is your host, Ezra Suzuki. As a reminder, Wise Up TX is a nonpartisan platform to inform and educate the South Asian community about Texas and national politics. You can find us on all forms of social media, such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and you can check out our website, wiseuptx.com. You can also listen to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and last but not least, SoundCloud. Finally, you can listen to our podcast segments as they air on Radio Azad on Coffee Mornings with Aisha on Mondays. Remember, everyone, let's get educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. Hey, everyone. It's been a while since you guys have heard from me. I just wanted to let you all know I was residing in D.C. I finally moved back to Austin, Texas, and we have lots of exciting news coming up in terms of Wise Up Texas. We now have a board and... We have 13 members on there, and so we're hoping to expand Wise Up Texas's presence in our Get Out the Vote efforts. We are also revamping our website, so I hope to share that with y'all sometime in November when we'll be celebrating our four-year anniversary. And today, you guys are going to hear from one of our interns, Ariba Amer, and we will be discussing the Texas Tribune Festival and which was happening last weekend, actually. And we got to listen to four major Democratic presidential candidates, and we will be discussing what is the millennial perspective and the Gen Z perspective. And I hope you guys will find that entertaining as well as informative as to what it seems like a lot of people are thinking in terms of the Democratic presidential candidates. So I am going to pivot on over to our interview. Joining us today is one of Wise Up Texas's interns, Ariba Amer. She's been with us for the past year and helping with political content. So she is going to be joining us today on the podcast to talk about Trip Fest, which happened last week, or actually last weekend, and kind of giving us a um, what you guys are Generation Z, right? Generation the Generation Z. Yeah. Z perspective, and I'm the millennial perspective. <laughs> And just kind of, and we're really going to hone in on what's happening uh, with the presidential race. Uh, we were able to see four of the major presidential candidates on the Democratic ticket this past weekend, and we are just going to give you all a general overview of what we saw, what we thought, what we heard, and I'm going to hand it off to Ariba to give her introductions. Hi everyone, I'm Ariba. I'm a journalism and economics sophomore at UT Austin. I also report on the UT system in higher education at the Daily Texan, and I work with the Pakistani Student Association. Awesome. So let's get started. I want to kind of begin with Pete Buttigieg. So he was the first one that we saw um, last Friday, and you know, I, I'm going to say this, like, I I know that he was gaining a lot of traction, but to me personally, I didn't expect such a large, large crowd. Like, it was pretty much sold out. Um, it, it was huge applause when he entered, and I thought the funniest part was when he was walking out, uh, when it ended and there were people walking out from the place was, you know, this old gentleman was like, he sounded too smart to be president of the United States. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and I... I wouldn't expect that. I, yeah. I know, but in all honesty, yeah. I hadn't really seen him speak, right? And, mm-hmm. and when you watch a lot of the Democratic debates, like, 
there's so many candidates on there it's really hard to pinpoint and not many presidential candidates have really come down to texas to you know have these discussions Mm -hmm. and so i'm curious you know what is gen z thinking about pete Buttigieg? do you think he's getting a lot of momentum because it seemed like it was a much older crowd at trip fest instead of you know, the younger millennial Gen Z's there. Yeah. So I honestly, I do think that Pete's getting a lot of traction just by, you know, overhearing chatter from my peers at UT Austin. And I don't think actually a lot of our, us more like politically savage, savvy <laughs> generation Z, uh, we actually, I don't think a lot of us were actually expecting him to gain traction, but I personally think he has almost the Beto phenomenon where he's he's really good at talking and connecting with the younger voters and I think it's working but I think part of the reason you might have seen the older crowd at TripFest is just because not a lot of students attended TripFest but I honestly I think a lot of his voter base I feel like it would be the younger voters. Interesting so I want to pivot over to the Beto phenomenon because you know we also got to see Beto speak but Granted, he was at Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. It was not a packed crowd. Right. Not as packed as maybe Pete Buttigieg. And I don't know. Like, it seemed that when it came to his policy questions and issues, he wasn't really detailed about what he intended to do. I do think he talked a lot about um, gun reform, right? And mm-hmm. especially after, what, the devastating um event that happened in El Paso, the shooting at Walmart, but it didn't seem like we really got any concrete answers when it came to like healthcare policy or education policy. And do you think, and I'm asking for more Gen Z, do Mm -hmm. you think he's still going to have such a strong support within the college community, right? Like he is very active on social media you see him doing all those videos on facebook live or instagram um, very active on twitter what just i'm curious what are your thoughts on 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 beto and his phenomenon at like the ut campus you know i honestly think that beto got a lot of or beto i'm sorry got a lot of traction when it came to when he ran in set in texas senate is because he was just so different from specifically texas politicians but I think kind of the almost the rude awakening that he got was that this he can't just campaign off the fact that he's different anymore. You know, compared to Ted Cruz, Beto was very different. You know, he was a younger, he was a younger politician, he was a lot more liberal, and he could he could honestly he could talk the talk. But I think he's realizing when he it comes to these presidential elections that he needs to back his talk up with actual meaningful policy and that the rest of America isn't really seeing him as different. You know, he's a white, middle-aged male <laughs> yeah. who's running for president. And so I think he need, he's starting to realize that, you know, his initial campaigning platform or the way he campaigned prior, it's not working anymore because this isn't just Texas. This is like the United States. Yeah, I, I think, and I'm sure he was aware of it when he, you know, put in his bid for running for president, but... That was the main reason why so many people had so many hesitancies for him running for president. They mm-hmm. thought that he should run for the Senate race against Cornyn because this is a national field, right? Like if you attain difficulty in um, winning Texas, mm-hmm. then how are you going to win the entire United States? Right. And another important point that I thought he made during his talk was that the way to win Texas or the way to win the presidency is through Texas. That, right. that was something that he stated. Mm-hmm. 
And yes, I mean, I think Texas is becoming more of a quote unquote battleground, whether it goes blue in 2020 is who knows, right? right. <laughs> um, I'm curious as to what's the feeling on um, campus in terms of Texas going blue, do you think college kids are really like, oh yeah, that's a definite for sure? Are they really disinterested? Are they interested? I mean, I'm just curious as to how that is. Yeah, so I mean, granted, I think Austin is known for being more liberal. So coming to UT Austin, I was honestly, I was a little surprised about how liberal the student body is. So I would say that the majority, or part of the student body at least, is betting on the fact that Texas will eventually turn blue. But granted, I, in, in terms of my crowd, a lot of us are journalism people, so we like, we like looking at the outside view. We're not, we don't necessarily identify with a party, and a lot of us, I think, are more skeptical if Texas is actually going to be turning blue in 2020. But do we think that it might have a future, you know, just based on casual conversations with my other journalism friends? I think that I think there is potential in the future just by the fact that the younger generation is just by definition more liberal. And why do you think that is? Like, is it because um, Gen Z's are really into the Green New Deal, Medicare for all? I'm just curious as to what are the platform points that are really hitting the Gen Z generation? You know, I think, I don't know. Uh, and this is talking more, again, on, on behalf of Gen Z, it's less more about my own personal opinion, but I think just, again, just through talking through uh, and growing up with my generation, from the 2016 election when I noticed that, when I was 15, I noticed that Bernie got a lot of traction and I went to go, I wanted to cover Bernie and so I went to his uh, presidential rally, I went as press and I was 15 and I was interviewing a lot of students who were either my age or a little older and a lot about what they said, which I thought was pretty interesting, was that, um, in you know, and I quote them, is that they believed that he was very transparent mm -hmm. in, an area, in an era where they felt that many politicians, you know, tend to like hide or mince or manipulate their words and they felt that Bernie, if you could look him up on the internet, is very transparent. So I, I can't really speak to a why I think the younger generation is more liberal. Quite frankly, I don't, I don't know, but I will say that growing up and just, again, casual conversation, nothing too formal, just I think a lot of young people value transparency. And I, it's harder for older politicians to deal with because I feel like they never have, you know, have campaigned with the internet. You know, it's, it's yeah. like, it's a more new phenomena. And so the younger generation knows that they can just, they can pull up some politicians past record on Twitter. And I think it's a, almost a rude awakening for many politicians that, that they have to be more careful of their political record. Yeah. And I, I just want to put in a note that my pet bird is uh, <laughs> yeah. wanting to give his input as well and squawking away. Yeah. So I apologize for that background noise. But, um, I, I, I see your point for Gen Z, and I think that's also applicable for millennials, right, too. I think exactly. millennials, um, they were really big on the Bernie train back in 2016. And, um, you know, on a side note, you know, we found out that Bernie suffered a heart attack earlier this week. Right. And so I'm very curious as to seeing how that is going to play yeah, out um, further along yeah. in the campaign. But... I think transparency is key for a lot of people. People feel that DC is corrupt, and I right. think that's just a general consensus regardless of generations. Mm -hmm. And I think with the younger generation, social media is really big for so many people, right? Like, you know, when I talk to my parents, I'm like, so who are you interested in 
like for the 2020 election, yeah. they really haven't really picked anyone yet. Right. They're waiting to see who it is. and But they're not looking at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, right? Like they're seeing what's on TV. And to them, mm-hmm. that's the main outlet of where they're attaining their information or exactly. from the newspaper mm-hmm. um, because they still like to get their newspaper delivered. You know, they don't like looking at it on the internet. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think... You have these younger politicians who are really great on social media. Mm-hmm. And then you have some of the older politicians. Like, for example, we also saw Amy Klobuchar, right? Right. I don't think she's very social media savvy. No, like when yeah. we And you did not see a very young crowd there, mm-hmm. but she had a packed house. Yeah. And it was mostly older, older people. people. And she seems yeah. to be... She is not as progressive as the others. We heard her speak. Mm-hmm. She is not so much for um, doing the whole Medicare for all, like she believes in health insurance, but she's willing to allow private health insurance companies to still exist, which I think we still saw with, you know, Uh, Pete um, Buttigieg as well. And I think Castro as well that, you know, they want to have everyone insured, but if you already have an insurance that is, yeah, they don't want to Mm -hmm. take you out. Um, And so that's a different stance than like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Right. But Mm -hmm. Amy Klobuchar is still very much in the middle. She's very moderate. So she, and, and that's going to cater more towards the older generation because they're not necessarily always really progressive. But mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting to see which media is mm-hmm. going to kind of win and bring the election. Is it going to mm-hmm. be the social media generation, yeah. which is millennials, Gen Zs? Right. Or is it still going to be the older generation of baby boomers who still attain their news from... Mm-hmm newspapers and the tv and they're going to watch those debates and really Mm -hmm. see what happens and not really care about oh what so-and-so tweeted (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah you know i'm actually i mean this is me just nerding out but less about less per se about the outcome of the 2020 elections because i think people have already like made presumptions about who the nominees are going to be i'm really interested in the voter demographics because we were just there was just such a shock with the 2016 presidential election in terms of who ended up turning out to vote and what media, like they, which media that they used, uh, or even their age range. And I'm really excited in a way because we have four generations of theoretically people who are my age who are eligible to vote. You know, I was not eligible to vote when I was 16, but you know, in 2020, I'll be 20. So I'll be voting at that time. So there's, there is literally four generations of young voters who are, in my opinion, pretty politically active uh, but honestly, I question the way that they get their media, they get their information because, again, like just through high school when I did some, you know, amateur reporting on my high school newspaper, I interviewed a lot of students and they were literally like, oh no, I got all my information from 2016 presidential election, I got it through Tumblr. And I'm like, that's like a direct quote. My friends were telling me that. And so I'm a little... Tumblr. I, yeah, yeah. Well, at the time, Tumblr was the thing. It was like yeah. 2015, 2016. <laughs> but... Um, Do you still yeah. think that it is? No, no. Yeah. I really I really don't think... I think Tumblr's for a special group of people. I don't know who they are. <laughs> uh, but no offense to I, our Tumblr yeah, fans. I no, just want to say. <laughs> yeah. No, but, you know, I just... I think that certain type of social media has died out. But I think, you know, Instagram and Snapchat has has been on the rise again just and you know facebook has been on the decline for at least my generation yeah and i unfortunately as much as i love my twitter and a lot of my journalism friends love our twitters not a lot of actual people follow on twitter so i think instagram and snapchat are the new media that people are starting to consume their political news which in my opinion is a little frightening 
but it, it is the reality. And so I'm interested and almost excited to see how that turns out for 2020. Yeah, and I kind of want to, you know, butt in <laughs> and state that for me, I think... Um, Oh man, I'm like losing my train of thought here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for me, when it comes to social media, it's, I don't know, it's almost troubling in a way to see, you know, okay, yeah, this is where people are like attaining their news and not all of it is legitimate. It seems like they're also trying to get the news that goes or skews along with their thought process. I think you definitely see that regardless of generational issues. You see that with Twitter, with the younger Mm -hmm. generation. I think even with Facebook, you know, I see like my mom's and dad's generation, like the articles they post, the stuff that they post. A lot of these websites are not sites I've ever really seen before, right? And I'm like, and I click on them and I'm like, this is, how do you know their validity? And, Mm -hmm. and, and I, I mean, we've already dealt with that with the 2016 election and I, I'm curious if that same problem is going to be a current or, or occurring in the, the 2020, 2020 election. You know, I think a lot of people are, or like, it's just, it's more of a, I don't know. I, again, as a journalism student, it's a really interesting time because we get taught a lot about fake news and a lot of us are being taught how to make sure that our news is exactly the opposite of that and that it's true but then it's also dealing with the public's appearance or just the rhetoric of the fact that the news could be lying and so it's it's really it's become a difficult time and I feel almost bad for consumers of the news because it's really hard to tell when you know a news outlet is being sensationalist or are they being sensationalist or are they outright lying to the public but then at the same time you also get just like the really random sites that are providing straight up false information. Yeah. So it's just, it's a really, it's a really, I don't want to say harmful, but it's a very turbulent time for news consumers and especially people in the news industry. And I'm not necessarily excited to see how it will turn out, but I'm hopeful that one day it will pass. <laughs> yeah. And I want to kind of pivot back to accountability for presidentials, mm-hmm. uh, presidential <laughs> candidates. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that I want to touch on is the genuineness of them on social media. Mm -hmm. So we know that they have a comms director. We know that they have people that are running their social media accounts for the most part. And it makes sense. Like they're so busy campaigning, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. Like to me, when I read a lot of these people's tweets, uh, I'm kind of like, yeah, this is so structured. Yeah. You you know, and so people are literally sitting there and editing their tweets. Yeah. To make sure that it's PC and that it's proper. And I'm like, but then I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's a way of them reaching out to, to people like us. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I have no idea. Like, I have no idea if you really think like that or because you know, like, that's what your comm director thought would be good to put on there. No, I 100% agree. And I think, you know, I, again, I had this time period where I wanted to follow every president. Actually, I did, I think I did in 2016. I literally created a Twitter account for the sole purpose of following every presidential candidate because I wanted to be as informed as possible. And much to my dismay, I realized this was 100% not the way to get informed because all I was getting was a lot of PR, you know? Yeah. I was just, I was getting different. They weren't even different from each other. If you were a Democratic, you know, running for the Democratic nominee, your your Twitter sounded basically the same across the board. All yeah. your p- opinions sounded the same on Twitter. I definitely feel like that for 2020. Yeah, like and they, I feel like that too. And I, I understand they're trying to keep the party united oh, instead of being like fractured. <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah. at the same time, I'm like, but I can't tell a difference between the party, like each individual can't, yeah. party platforms. And, and, and let's go to what, you know, the four candidates that we saw, like what they stated. I thought for um, Julian Castro, like mm-hmm. he has an animal policy, mm-hmm. which I think is, yeah. you know, different. Mm-hmm. But for South Asians, I'm very curious to know if that's something that they're going to put on their radar. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, me on a personal level, like, I, I have pets, and so I, you know, I'm not really an advocate for animal cruelty, not that I think anybody is, but I appreciate that, that there's a distinction in his platform compared to everybody else's. Um, you see Amy Klobuchar, she seems to be much more moderate, so she's not as progressive, right. so she's really catering, you know, from to that Midwest crowd, to the older, moderate crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, Beto, I, you know, we saw him run... For Texas Senate and now he's running for president that he is much more of an advocate on you know gun reform and gun policies and that's like completely on a personal level mm-hmm. um, but I'm not really sure where he's a distinction um, and when it comes to Pete Buttigieg uh, he sounded very intellectual he sounded that or he stated that you know he's not afraid to run up against President Trump because you know, as someone that's gay and from Indiana, he's mm-hmm. already been bullied, so he's really not scared of bullies, right. insinuating that Trump was a bully. Mm-hmm. Um, they all stated, for, all four of them stated across the board that they were for impeachment mm-hmm. of the president. Mm-hmm. And I guess my question to you is, what did you think of these four candidates? Did you feel like there was a lot of distinction? Are you in agreement with my assessment? Mm-hmm. We just love Gen Z thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Gen Z thoughts. You know, I don't know if I'm the best person to be representing the entirety of Gen Z. I'm a little too much of a nerd for that. But personally, I honestly... Are you saying Gen Zs are not nerdy? Well, okay. <laughs> that's, that's a podcast Okay, maybe that, that yeah, yeah, that's right. That's going on on a tangent. Yeah, that's a little tangent. But um, let's see. You know, honestly, I was unfortunately, I felt very underwhelmed. I was, you know, just, it was like a childlike... Or more like a naive excitement to go like, oh my gosh, I'm going to listen to presidential candidates. And, you know, I go there and they sound the same across the board. And I I mean, I agree that certain candidates were championing more for their cause than others. But if you, you know, Beta was championing for more gun reform. But if you had asked, like, say, Amy about what she thought about gun reform, she might have not said, like, mandatory, like, buybacks. She might have not said that, but she would have said, yes, the country needs gun reform. It is a problem. You know, and so I I really, I was really underwhelmed because all of the responses were very vague. They all sounded the same and they didn't really, you know, you couldn't really get as much of a, uh, a feel for each candidate's individual platform as much as I had personally hoped to get. And I also just a lot of the, granted they only had, we only had an hour for each candidate, but I really, I wish that they discussed more about how feasible the plans they were discussing were. I mean, some of them just sounded very out there. I mean, politically, how is this going to work? And so I'm just curious in terms of feasibility, you know, how are these Democratic um, candidates, are they planning to pass this legislation they're championing for? And economically, I mean, a lot of these are huge economic costs. And so they didn't really touch on that as much as I had hoped for, but then again, I speculate a little bit Yeah, more, I, I don't think like. they are, though. None yeah. of them that I... And I actually, you know, I, I interviewed Beto back before his 2018 race, and I talked about how you... How are you going to support, you know, Medicare yeah, for all, exactly. right? Uh-huh. Where Where is the tax dollars going to come from? Because yeah. 
these points, I mean, they're sound bites essentially. Yeah. They're really, they sound really great, like the mm-hmm. Green New Deal, and but they cost a lot of money. We're talking about right. billions of dollars. Exactly. And exactly it has to come from somewhere, and right. it has to come from the taxpayer. But they and don't want to say that, though. They don't want to no, say it. No, they don't want to yeah. say it. And what's <laughs> fascinating to me is, uh, and, and I'm very interested, and this will be a podcast for probably another time, but. Mm-hmm. For, for South Asians, we don't like to pay taxes. You know, let's be honest, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, I mean, nobody likes to pay taxes. Everyone does it begrudgingly. Yeah. But for Daisies, we will try whatever way we can. For the most part, a lot of Daisies mm-hmm. will try to avoid taxes. Mm-hmm. But then you see them that are they're really big advocates for a progressive right. platform. Uh-huh. But at the same time, if you're sitting there and you know, not properly paying taxes mm-hmm. or those South Asians that own businesses and don't always remit the taxes mm-hmm. properly, how are you How are you going to advocate for a progressive platform when, I mean, it has to be done with tax dollars right. and everybody has to put in their, you know, their share. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's something I think would be an interesting discussion for another time. Mm-hmm. But that's just something that I think that's just an example of what how I think people are not understanding the long-term implications right. of a lot of these policies. Exactly. Like they're like, yeah, we should get, you know, healthcare for everybody or that we should do, you know, the green new deal mm-hmm. and, you know, we also heard Speaker Pelosi talk and she's she was very upfront yeah. in stating that like, yeah, these are really good optimistic you know, and optimistic idealistic, idealistic kind of, yeah. legislations and she's willing to give them a hearing, but how are they going to be done? It's She's all about pay as you go. So right. if you have the money in the budget, you exactly. do it. If you don't, you're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So I think those are some really interesting points made about a lot of these Democratic candidates. They seem to be stating a lot of the same things on the platform, mm-hmm. but not really giving any sort of detail as to how a lot of these things will be accomplished. And I think mm-hmm. we saw that across the board with all four of them and that we've seen them all across the board on the debate stages as well. Mm-hmm. But now that kind of brings me to with President Trump. You know, he's obviously running. It, he has some opponents against him in the primary, but I don't think they're really going to go far. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he seems to be the one, and he is really the person that's going to be different. Granted, mm-hmm. he's under an impeachment inquiry, but, I mean... In the Senate, it would be hard, I think, for him to be convicted because it's a Republican majority. Mm-hmm. But I'm very curious to see how he is going to pivot a lot of these Democratic um, policies against the Democratic nominee. I saw so many, or the at least you know the candidates that were running for 2020 as they were starting to get announced. And just the number kept growing, <laughs> like the amount of people running for the Democratic nomination. I was starting to get like deja vu of 2016. I honestly, I, uh, there was something about what Amy said that had just, you know, stood out as a, as a listener. And it was something along the lines of like, you know, the Democratic Party needs to focus on their own economic agenda and stop following Trump down his rabbit holes. And I thought that was a really interesting point because I'm personally, again, like, as an onlooker, like I'm seeing almost a repeat of 2020 where all the Democratic Party's policies are looking very similar. And that's fine. I mean, they're the Democratic Party. You know, what are you going to do? But it's it's giving a Trump, a, it looks like it's just going to be, you know, a repeat, like the same, uh, the same scandals are going to be happening. The same debates are going to be happening between the Democratic and Republican nominee. Like, it doesn't seem like anyone's really learned their lesson. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, 
I think regardless <laughs> of which political party you vote for, I think it's important to note that a lot of the baby boomer boomer generation vote for both parties. Right. I personally vote for both parties. Like I mm-hmm. will look to see at which candidate I think best fits um, the needs that I have. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this idealism of wanting compromise and mm-hmm. wanting DC to be better. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is simultaneously people are like, oh, well, why would you work, you know, with the Trump administration or why would mm-hmm. you work with Republicans? And at the end of the day, the country is always mostly going to be split, mm-hmm. like 50-50. Right. Um, whether, regardless of how you like it or not, it doesn't matter. There needs to be compromise. And mm-hmm. so I think an important aspect that I look at when I'm voting is, does this candidate, like, yes, they have their pr- certain policy and platforms, but at the same time, is this candidate willing to reach across the aisle and yes. work with the other party? And mm-hmm. I think that's something, like, people don't necessarily think about when they're going to the polls. Mm-hmm. But I think it's very difficult to have a presidential candidate. And and I think Trump is really an outlier here about not willing to work with the other party. Right. Um, and it... And, you know, Trump is very abrasive in his tweets against Mm -hmm. the Democrats. I mean, after the impeachment inquiry was initially put in, like he had an ad, a video (laughs) ad that he posted Uh um, on his Twitter account. But I think and and that's why he's an outlier, because I think for the most part, people people want Congress to do their work. They want things Mm -hmm. to progress. Um, And I think you need a president for the most part that is able to work with both parties. And I'm curious if people will take that into account when they are going to the polls in Mm -hmm. the Democratic primary, if they're voting in the Democratic primary. Like, are you going to vote for someone that is more, like, just along the lines of what you believe in? Or Mm -hmm. are you ever going to take into account, like, can this presidential candidate reach across the aisle Mm -hmm. and and actually get stuff done? Because you can have all of these great policies. You can go and be president, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, you have to get it passed through Congress. You have to get Medicare for all passed through Congress. You need the Green New Deal passed through Congress. Mm -hmm. And if you are unwilling to reach across the aisle, how is it ever going to get done? Right. No, I completely agree. It's just, it's, I think that at least specifically for the Democratic Party, I've heard two very distinct things. Either people's goal is to elect someone that aligns exactly with their political opinions or their goal is to just defeat current President Trump. And so I think the Democratic Party needs some sort of consensus on that. Yeah, agreed. Well, um, to our listeners, you know, (laughs) this was our fun take on the four presidential candidates that we heard of and just kind of an analysis of how we think that the 2020 election is going. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to end this and I'm going to have Ariba give her three top three issues that she thinks Gen Z's are really going to care about for this 2020 election. And I'm going to give top Mm -hmm. three for millennials. Okay. Uh, Let's see, you know, top three, definitely, you know, I've, climate change you know UT Austin had this huge climate change rally you I mean um, you must have heard in the news there were just students around the world championing or not championing just protesting against you know the inaction what they believe is the inaction from you know world governments towards climate change I think students are really concerned about that I would say gun reform is definitely another buzzword that I hear from students 
And that's just given recent events. And the fact that it affects a lot of students and students in schools, not even college, but high school right. and elementary school. And then I would say that the last thing, <laughs> it's hard to choose, just three, um, climate change, gun reform, and I would say there's just a lot of talk about women's, women's role and women's rights. I think that hasn't necessarily changed from the millennial generation. But, um, you know, there's just, again, a lot of talk about what, uh, what people believe like a woman's rights should be and how can she be treated as an equal, equal pay, abortion. A lot of those are just buzzwords that happen in political conversations. So for women's rights, do you think that's more for the Gen Z female population or you think that's for male and female? You know, I actually, I was kind of... I, I was a little surprised to figure out that I think it might actually be on both sides where I feel obviously women are more personally affected, but, um, and granted it could be just that, that I know a lot of Gen Z men who are just too scared to speak out against, uh, women's rights. Um, but you know, uh, I definitely, you know, it's definitely an issue for definitely Gen Z women is just what, what their role is and how is that going to differ from past history. Yeah. yeah. So I think for millennials, I think we're pretty much along the same lines when it comes to, you know, for top three. I don't I don't think healthcare is big on yeah. our top three platform yeah. because we're still young, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not we're not we're really affected. concerned. We're either on our parents' insurance or yeah. we're working and we, we have a job. Granted that depends on, you know, your economic mm-hmm. um, availability. Mm-hmm. But I think for many millennials, I want to add in there is student debt. Oh, I yeah. Think, <laughs> I completely forgot. College affordability. Right. So important. But yeah. I think, you know, for yeah. your generation, you guys are in college. Right, like, I'm the generation college. where we're starting uh-huh. to pay back our student loans. Yeah, and, so you know, wages haven't increased, mm-hmm. but everything, cost of living has increased. And right. um, that has been really big for us. I think mm-hmm. um, and income inequality is another really mm-hmm. big situation for millennials. Like, mm-hmm. we're... I mean, the more articles that you read, you start to realize that we are the generation that are going to do worse than our parents. Like, it is Mm -hmm. harder for us to buy a home. It is harder for us to buy a finance a car. You are starting to hear more about millennials that move back home with their parents. Mm -hmm. I am one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think income inequality is becoming a really big issue with millennials. Mm -hmm. I do think, you know, climate change and healthcare and all of those, those are important and they have been in the background. I think millennials are really honing in on a lot of the economic issues impacting the nation because we are the ones that are dealing with, you know, student debt, not able to, you know, get the wages that we Mm -hmm. thought that we would or having the proper and retirement account that we should we are the ones that are not really having the savings and all that stuff so I think economic issues are really going to impact the millennial generation Mm -hmm. and I don't think we're really honing in on the health care issues or the climate change or equal pay I think those are there they're relevant but not something that's on our top three well, thank you so much, Reba, for joining us yes, on the Wise of Texas it. podcast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll do another one soon. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> um, and to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this this millennial Gen Z conversation. And maybe next time we can add yeah. someone from a different, the older yeah. generation yeah, onto the podcast and give a bunch of different perspectives mm-hmm. on the 2020 election. And if you like our segments, please uh, follow us on iTunes, 
Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Uh, make sure you like us, leave us a review. Uh, that's really helping us to move our podcast up in rankings and so we can attain more listeners. Mm-hmm. And we hope you'll tune in again sometime soon. Yes. <laughs>